Welcome to episode 32 of So You Think That Was Good, Do You? A podcast where we take a look back at the films from your childhood and question the absurdity of their universes. My name is Evan, and this week's film is The Shadow, 1994, starring Alec Baldwin and was recommended by friend of the pod, Shayna. You can check out his podcast, What's Shaking with Shayna, where he celebrates the passion and the madness of the geek, the nerd, and often the absurd, over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might listen to your podcasts. Podcasts, podcasts, podcasts. If you want to recommend a film, shoot us a tweet at So You Think Pod on Twitter or by email at So You Think Pod at gmail.com. As always, I'm joined by Sam and Cole, two people I know in real life. Step out of the shadows and tell me how you're doing, boys. Ooh. Wow, what a monologue. <laughs> let Evan catch that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, let's let Evan recover from that. Pick yourself up off the floor. Yeah, I do we always number the episodes at the start? No, first time. Episode 32, that's the first time that you've done that. That's... Ooh. That's, that's a lot more than yeah. it feels like. Been a long old slog, this. About four good ones, I think. <laughs> no, not all good ones. What did you say? Four good ones. Oh, four, four good ones. ones, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's about right. You can't escape the question, how are you doing, boys? I know you just tried to sidestep that masterfully, but I need to know. Just give me a good. I'm doing well. Oh. I'm doing well. I've had, a, I've had a full week off work this week, so I'm feeling uh, well-rested. Don't worry, it didn't change anything. I still watched this movie at the last possible minute yep. today, <laughs> frantically writing notes. No research whatsoever. So still on form. Same here. And I'm here. Thank you, Carl. That's all I require no, from you. I'm doing good, mate. We got some interest on our Men in Black episode. That we was did. nice. And well, we there. nipped that straight in the bud the week after with a special. <laughs> well, what does it tell you about our self-confidence that we started, the views started going up about Men in Black, and instantly we were furious and... <laughs> Writing to uh, the uh, pr- provider platform yeah, that we use, platform. saying, why are you not blocking these bots? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they did three yeah. days of research to conclude that they weren't bots. They're actually listening. So <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. Sorry we thank thought you, you so were bots. For listening. <laughs> yeah. was an insane amount. This is, for me, this is like a pub lock-in, I think. Less people, the better. We've killed it off. We're movie trivia special, and it's just the real friends again, I'd say. Welcome back. Thanks to the friends of the podcast, and we'll try not to alienate two of them by <laughs> shitting on this movie too much. Yes, yes. Uh, well, let's get right into that, shall we? Shall I do the plot synop? Gonna have to. It's a short one this week, and I did pre-read it, and it's pretty good compared to the other ones I've read, so let's uh, let's do it. Set in 1930s New York, a reformed criminal becomes a superhero. With the aid of a beautiful female friend, a playboy millionaire with a dark past sets out to bring the evil Shiwan Khan to justice. His quarry, who is determined to attain world domination, is a deadly descendant of Genghis Khan and will not surrender without a fight. Yeah. Quarry's a good word, isn't it? Quarry's a great quarry. word. Yeah. Yeah, very good use of the word quarry. I think that's a good synopsis, considering how frenetic and mad this film is and how much happens how much happens yeah. <laughs> it's impressive they managed to fit all that in they skipped yeah. two-thirds of the beginning of the movie with this plot synopsis well but fair play i wish i had the, yeah they cover all the points that was needed to make 
just a normal movie. This, as we're about to get into, <laughs> this contains a lot more than it needs to. Uh, this both hour good and bad. forty-five movie took yes. me three hours to watch. Oh, same. Stopping to take notes. <laughs> I think I messaged you at half twelve, uh, maybe quarter to one, saying that I'd started this and I didn't finish until about five. <laughs> But let's start, shall we, with the usual little factoid. The opening credits don't end until 2 minutes 58. Look, I appreciate the timestamp put on that, but I think these were reasonable opening credits. Yeah, not egregiously long. Oh, egregiously. Good word, Evan. Thanks, Evan. Very good. Yeah. Ooh, quarry. <laughs> <laughs> also, just before we get started, did either of you know this was set in 1930? Did it say at any point? I, I, the first note I've got is, this opens in Tibet vaguely in the past yeah i know it's the past but i don't know anything beyond that well, the t- well we'll get into that now but um the only thing i thought denoted the era was the gangsters that show up in about 10 minutes time uh, but just the tommy gun knows? Yeah. yeah that could just be classic brooklynites getting up to it you know <laughs> oh god we're not continuing on that <laughs> The movie opens with a Tibetan man, Li Peng, being driven through a poppy field and dragged into a temple, seemingly in the middle of nowhere. Li Peng is brought before Ying Ko. Sorry, I'm going to be repeating a few things here. There's a few names. The crime lord who owns the poppy field and accuses Li Peng of killing three of his men, who just straight up admits to that straight away. He, he doesn't mind that at all. Do you recognise the actor who plays Li Peng, the man who is brought before uh, Yinko. Yes, I do, but I don't know where from. Mm-hmm. He's in uh, Big Trouble in Little China, right? Little, yes. Little big, is that what it's I called? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. in a lot of stuff. He's like one of those actors. Yeah, he's the old Chinese man in everything. Yeah. You may recognize his voice more than anything else. Uh, Li Peng is played by James Hong, who is just one of those guys you instantly recognize. Uh, but most notably, he played Mr. Ping, the adoptive duck father of the Kung Fu Panda and the Kung Fu Panda movies. <laughs> You're naming movies I've never seen, ever. Please tell me, that cannot be his top credit no, on no, IMDb. No, he's been in loads. <laughs> Big Bang Theory, Friends, all of them. But I'm, I'm just mad yeah. that you boys have not seen that. But personally, He's been in loads, names two shit sitcoms. The thing hey, I know him careful. from is Jackie Chan Adventures, the animated series from back in the day. He played... Now we're talking. Dao Long Wong, who was like an evil sorcerer in it. Man, hearing his voice brought back memories for me. And anyone who's not seen Jackie Chan Adventures, hit that shit up. It's so good. Honestly, really do. I need to rewatch it. And if we ever start covering TV shows instead of movies... That'll be first. First choice... First choice, Goosebumps. Oh, Second choice, yes. Jackie Chan Adventures. Yeah. Number three, Chuckle Third Vision. Third choice, Chuckle Vision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yinko, who's the crime lord of this area, shoots Li Ping straight through one of his own guys. He's taking one of his guys hostage, but he's so evil, he doesn't give a shit who's he, who he's shooting. He shoots right through him and kills them both. And it's dramatically revealed here that Yinko, uh, quite an Asian name, is not an Asian man. As the scenery, basically everything, yeah, everything suggests. that is suggesting it is none other than Alec Baldwin, the the lead of this movie, who after yeah. having leaping shot delivers his Chinese dialogue in a manner that is reminiscent of two things to me. Firstly, uh, Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 
in the episode <laughs> Flowers for Charlie, where he thinks he can speak Mandarin, but he can't. And also John Cena's now famous speech, Bing Chaling, which is also stunning. <laughs> Bing Chaling. Excellent stuff. He goes to sleep fine after murdering his friend and his enemy both at the same time, Yinko. But he wakes up in the middle of the night to two Tibetan men in his bedroom. They knock him out and they drag him off to a separate temple. Uh, and this is the Clouded Temple, I believe it was called. What I really like about this is, so they 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 drag him to the top of, I want to say it's like a mountain or something. Yeah. And they say, we've brought you to this temple. And there's just a it's just a tent in front of them. And then he correctly points out, God, uh, actually, that's not a temple. <laughs> and then the clouds kind of move, the clouds behind the temple move aside, and we can see that behind them was a huge temple. And he is astounded. He says, where did that come from? Because I guess he thinks that if he can't see, he doesn't understand that there are things behind other things. <laughs> Well, somewhat ironically for his character, he can't get through the he can't the idea of it through his head of you can't see something but it is there. <laughs> but he is told that the, that the clouded mind can't see. But his mind doesn't come become any less clouded in those five seconds. He didn't know there was a temple. He didn't learn anything. The cloud moved. No, I like what you're translating there. Sam, the fact that every time he blinks, he's surprised by everything that appears in front of him. <laughs> every time, yeah, every time he blinks, he thinks everything's gone. Where he am I? Shockingly. He, yeah, everything behind him, he's just constantly shocked. He's a constantly surprised man that things are appearing in front of him. Like Agent D from last week's episode. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> two episodes ago. My apologies. Anyway, the, the two Tibetan... Warriors, mystics, travellers, I don't know who they are, they just appear and disappear at this point. They take him into a temple, and Yinko meets uh, the priest of this temple, Toku, who reveals that he knows Yinko isn't who he says he is. He's really a man named... He's really a man called Lamont Cranston. So I saw that, and I was like, that's not a real name, but that is the name of the character. Lamont Cranston. Such a made-up name. Yes. Uh, and he's done so much evil in his life, Lamont Cranston, that Tolku tells him to earn his redemption, which he has no choice in. He has to earn his redemption. Uh, he will be taught how to use the shadow within him to fight evil. Anyone else getting Batman Begins League of Shadow flashbacks during all of this? This movie is just Batman, to be fair. Yeah. There's plenty of Batman yeah. vibes happening throughout. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm conf so confused by the motivations of this. I don't know, priest, I guess, yeah. monk, whatever he is. This either 12-year-old child or 50-year-old man, I'm not sure which, <laughs> who grabs this piece of shit drug lord out of his tent and decides, you're the man that I'm going to give superpowers to and send over to New York. Why? Just fuck him. I guess his motivation is to turn evil people, well, not turn them into good people, but to to harness the evil within them to to fight evil. To, to... Just give him superpowers. I don't know. This is the last time this dude shows up. Let's give him some yeah. slack. We, eh? Yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> we do we do learn the risks of only giving evil people superpowers with the next person who comes along who was trained there. <laughs> it's just important. like, well, I guess yeah. I'll use my powers for evil <laughs> for now. Evil, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, this the next guy who came along, he gave him the power to do all of his mind control teleport bullshit. And the guy, cheers for that. I'm going to go take over the world. Wait, no. <laughs> Hold on. Lamont Cranston, sorry, I struggled to get out his name there, <laughs> uh, has a little tussle here with a magical dagger, which seems like just a bit of fun in the scene, but it will become... Uh, important later and it's called Ferber if you boys didn't know also important to know world's first CGI face on a dagger <laughs> <laughs> also possibly the last we don't know <laughs> but yeah, I mean we find out that his training's going to take him seven years in a second yes we will learn but he got his, he got send the dagger that dagger kicked his ass seven years before crime really starts good. getting fought that's true, yeah. Just have the dagger kill everyone. Dagger's the real hero of this. Now, as you just pointed out, Carl, this movie is on the money for anyone who is sick of origin stories because we completely skip all of that now. Oh my uh, god, yeah. <laughs> instead of seeing Lamont Cranston, insane name, uh, do any training or learn to use his powers, we get a, a nice bit of text on the screen. Yeah, can't call it an uh, opening crawl no. when it happens five minutes in. Yeah, yeah, mid-movie crawl. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I was annoyed when it first happened, but all we would have got in re- if that wasn't there was some fake Western idea of Tibetan mysticism as he meditates on a mountain somewhere. I'll take the opening crawl, I think. I still think that would have been... This just... I mean, it was hilarious, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> it just felt like they ran out of budget or forgot to shoot these scenes, and they're like, oh, bollocks, we yeah. forgot to do all that. I think... They forgot to redeem his character before sending him off to fight crime. Yeah. Yeah. They just say, he's been redeemed now. We go, all we saw was him murder some old man that he apparently loved. I think this this section here, this, I don't want to call it opening crawl because it doesn't even crawl. It just fades onto the screen and off again. Uh, What it attempts to do is provide you more information than the film can possibly fit in. I've written it down for you if you want me to read it out for you. So if everybody wants to catch up on what Lamont gets done in this time. (laughs) The Prince of Redemption... The price of redemption for Cranston was to take up... you can't. (laughs) Manstrak... Fuck. The price of redemption for Cranston was to take up man's struggle against evil. The Tolku taught him to cloud men's minds, to fog their vision, the force of concentration, leave invisible the only thing he can never hide, his shadow. Sorry, who's the Prince of Redemption? Thus armed, <laughs> Cranston returned to his homeland, the most wretched lair of villainy we know as. The text fades oh, so out, and in oh. fades New York City. The Prince of Redemption. <laughs> Specifically Brooklyn. Yes, yes, that's where all the bad people are. So, yeah, it fades into New York. Yes. Uh, And immediately, three New York classic gangsters are threatening to kill a witness who saw them do some some crime up an alley, uh, and they're going to drop him in the river with concrete around his feet. Classic New York stuff. Classic. One of these gangsters is Duke, uh, and you know he's the boss because he's the only one with a moustache. That's how it's determined in the Mafia, obviously. We then hear the voice of Alec Baldwin, a.k.a. Yinko, a.k.a. Lamont Cranston, a.k.a. The Shadow, who taunts Duke for killing a policeman using his echoey voice powers. Sorry, so many names. He's three yeah. guys already. I think from now on we can stick with The Shadow and possibly Lamont. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, we get to see some of his powers now. We find out that he, not only was he taught to turn invisible, which was teased, they also taught him how to whisper really, really loud. <laughs> Been taught to throw his voice. That's not yeah. seven years, though, is it? <laughs> this was all done in the first week and a half. <laughs> the rest was just to get him to stop being such a twat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't murder your friends. We'll come back to that. I'm sorry, I'm lost. Can we start again? Can we do the voice throwing thing? (laughs) We'll come back to this. Well, that seems to work because all of the mafia boys start to freak the fuck out. They don't know what's going on. And they're asking Duke just to shoot wildly at the bridge, which he does. He's absolutely happy to acquiesce to that. In the shadow, he's doing his invisible shit. Very nice. Uh, He's doing his invisible shit. He's beating everyone up. He's turning into mist. He's punching them. And he, he says to Duke, if you don't, Turn yourself into the police station, I'll kill you. And, and Duke is happy to. Uh, can he drop it a second time? He's going to acquiesce to that. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to turn into but, a police station. This is the problem with them not redeeming his character. Is he's just doing the throwing same his voice and saying, <laughs> you murdered a policeman, Duke. It's like, yeah, you murdered your friend and sold heroin. What makes you yeah. so great? Oh, you calling people out, but powers are pretty cool, right? Powers are it's, very cool. Yeah. Powers are... Well, are they though? Let's let's consider. He's a superhero that fights crime. His power is he can turn invisible, but he turns back visible when he punches. <laughs> that sounds like a joke superpower. <laughs> and he does. He starts beating up Duke after Duke has fired wildly, trying to hit him and missed every single shot. He starts beating up Duke, and he's flashing visible every time he throws a punch. And the two other gangsters are holding their guns limply at their sides not doing anything about him i would suspect that's more for our benefit than than for the film (laughs) law but it does look fucking ridiculous but not as ridiculous as after all the gangsters run away and the shadow reveals his what he actually looks like which is just like the alt costume of inspector gadget a big old trench coat (laughs) hat but all in black instead it does not look very cool does it Big old fucking nose. Uh, the face of Lothar from The Rocketeer. <laughs> Why is that a role? We'll give you magic powers, but you're going to look absolutely rats whenever you use them. I mean, one of the notes I've got here is what is the law behind him having such a fucking massive nose? I mean, I don't get it. If you see someone it's... in the street who's packing a big nose, you might not want to look in case you make him uncomfortable. Maybe that's how they make him invisible. Everyone's going, oh, fuck, don't look at that guy. <laughs> that's actually his He's power. only invisible power is... when you don't look at him. Uh, <laughs> because, because no one's looking at him, he assumes that he's invisible. Everyone's so uncomfortable to look at him in case they, he thinks they're staring at his nose that he's invisible. Yeah, at least in his own mind, where if you can't see something, it doesn't exist. <laughs> Maybe he can smell crime. <laughs> that I mean, yeah, that may well be it. I think that's from something. I might have stolen that. That's from Always, Always Sunny. Sunny. Yes, it is. Yep. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren can smell crime. The giant nose. He can smell crime. <laughs> and his head's just a massive nose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. That's better. But we, we, he wins and he rescues the old man. Yes, Roy. Uh, is yeah. that his name? Saves the old That's man. Roy, yes. We learn a little bit Decides later. to free him from the concrete by emptying two full pistol magazines. <laughs> Into into yeah. his feet. That man is free of concrete, <laughs> but he's never walking again. He is riddled with bullets. But the actor who played Roy, he's very brave, isn't he? 
Alec Baldwin hit those triggers like 60 <laughs> times in a row. <laughs> Is it too early to do this? Were we not going to do this at all? Feels like oh, it, we're gonna do it. it had to be mentioned. It's going to happen. We've already glossed over the one scene where he shot through a guy. <laughs> but it's going to happen at some point. Oh, all right, guys, I just got back. Did I miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Oh, he saves the he saves the guy's life. He grabs the taxi with the guy, and he ex- explains to him that since I've saved your life, you got to put this ring on, and you are now basically my slave. You owe me your life, so you are mine. Yeah, it's a really nice this, guy thing to do. This is the hero. <laughs> this is the hero. He's like, you're my slave. Now. What happens if they say no? Does he just chuck them out of the car? What Does he put the concrete back on? <laughs> What happens if his taxi drive taxi driver slave needs to make a living? No, you're on call. Yeah. You you are on call twenty four seven, mate. He's driving yeah. him around a lot in this movie. Two things also. One, how insane is it to for a superhero to get in a fucking taxi after saving someone's <laughs> life? Yeah. Even Batman doesn't do that. <laughs> two. So after making Roy his agent, there's two things he, he tells him to to remember and to keep. Firstly, there's a secret phrase he has to know. Uh, The sun is shining, but the ice is slippery. He's got to say that, but the ice is slippery when one of the other... That's how you identify each other. Then he gives him a massive fucking red ring that glows (laughs) to keep so he can get in touch with him. I reckon just Just use that that to... Yeah, just take a look at their hand. How many of those seven years he was away, do you reckon, were working on the sun is shining, but the ice is slippery? (laughs) He's got a full page of notes. He's like, uphill, ice skate. No, I can't use that. Blade has that one. The ice is slippery. (laughs) Yeah, so now Roy is his full agent, uh, and he lets him go off to live his own life, and we'll probably never see Roy again. And Cranston heads over. uh, Cranston is the shadow, just in case you all didn't know. Uh, Cranston goes over to the Cobalt Club, which uh, he'll visit a few times in this movie, and he meets his, another great name here, his Uncle Barth Wainwright, who is the police commissioner. Now, <laughs> Uncle Wainwright Barth. <laughs> is here mostly to deliver exposition that the the opening crawl couldn't deliver or the opening scene couldn't deliver. He also tells Cranston about the woman who can hear voices in her head and he wants nothing to do with her. Yeah. Uh, and also that he's going to form a task force to find the shadow. Uh, but of course, now here, Cranston uses his secret shadow powers to convince him not to. Uh, that's so we're all aware that everyone in the city is aware of the shadow. This is a real superhero, yeah. everyone. It's not just Batman. I'd love to know what the people of the city think about the shadow. Because <laughs> he's not like Batman. He doesn't seem to really... I mean, I guess he does stop some crime, but only when he has the chance to enslave someone. Yeah, he saves people who are useful to him only. People yeah. who then can't say they were saved by the shadow. So how does anyone yeah, exactly. know the shadow exists? So never heard no of one as far yeah, no one can say that they were saved by him. All he does is murder people who we have to assume were committing crimes. Yeah, and so- he's also he also weirdly travels around in a taxi, even though he's a millionaire, billionaire who would probably have a chauffeur, you would think. Is he a millionaire, billionaire? He doesn't work. We get told numerous times he doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, his job title in the the summary that Ev gave us was Playboy. Is that a job title? Probably. Closest we're going to get. Unless he's living off all his opium profits, yeah. 
but yeah, you've got to assume it's that. That's not a reformed character. I could be reformed if I got to keep my millions from my crimes. <laughs> yeah, most of the people, most of the people he saves with the red rings are just in money laundering. <laughs> I, I could easily give up a life of crime if I can keep all the money from my crimes. <laughs> with it is his uncle, right? I wasn't sure if it was or if he just brainwashed him into thinking that he was his uncle. Well, that could be the case, but. He always calls him his uncle, so I assume so. This is where we learn that he disappeared after the war seven years ago. Yeah. So he became a full-blown heroin kingpin within Tibet and did his seven years training in that seven years. That is fast. He walked into Tibet and was just like, yeah, this is mine now. He excelled at being a crime lord. God, it took him ages to complete that two-year Buddhist course. (laughs) (laughs) As I mentioned just now, uh, a lady had walked into the bar that uh, his uncle had said could could hear voices in her head. And obviously Cranston's instantly interested in that because he's got freaky head stuff going on as well. And he sends her a glass of wine to her table. And I love this interaction here. The waiter says, from the gentleman, and, and the lady's name is Margot. She wonders which gentleman <laughs> in particular and says, a gentleman to the waiter. As if the next frame isn't Cranston standing over the table down at her. <laughs> He'd been standing there for about five minutes waiting for the wine to come over. There's no pause in between her asking the waiter and him appearing there. She says, gentlemen, and the next frame isn't the waiter, it's him standing over. Then he popped off his big fake rubber nose and she could see him. he starts punching her Uh, he stood there the whole time with a massive nose and she's like gentlemen I don't see anyone just this weird homeless man creeping over me looming so they hit it straight off she can read minds he can influence minds they've got stuff going on and he asks her out for a succulent Chinese meal which they do go and get he makes sure to go to a Chinese place doesn't he He's got to show off his one talent. Bin Chaling. <laughs> this is my second favourite, second funniest uh, interaction so far for me. Margot essentially thanks Cranston out of nowhere for a compliment she thinks he said. And he's like, what are you on about? And she's like, oh, you complimented my dress. And he goes, oh, no, I only did that in my mind. <laughs> she like uh, apologises for having read his mind and he tries to act really cool about it but in a way that makes it look like he's really not cool with what just happened. Did you catch that? Like how freaked out he was? Or at least he was acting in yeah. that moment. Yeah, no, he's just, he's realised he's on a date with an actual... So this is, um, it's just two, psych- two weirdly overdressed psychopaths on a date in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> kind of having the most nonsensical conversation about reading minds and shit. So the date ends, they head home. You know, it's implied that they're not going to see each other again because we know that he can read minds. He's the shadow. She doesn't want. He doesn't want her to read his mind. Uh, and he goes home and falls asleep in his armchair. And we get a big fiery explosion out of his fireplace with the face of a man we haven't seen yet. And he just wakes up to his glass of brandy on fire and is like, "Somebody's coming." Just a really weird scene. It tells you a lot about how weird this movie is that I completely forgot about this scene. Yeah. Just kind of washed over me. This is the face of Shiwan Khan, a descendant of uh, Genghis Khan, uh, and also another student of the, the priest that taught the Shadow how to use his powers. Or, or rather gave him the powers. I guess he didn't have them straight away. And then we cut to the, the Natural History Museum of New York, I guess. 
and a random yeah. sarcophagi has turned up at the delivery Sarcophagus, if there's one, mate. Sarcophagus? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, no, I've written sarcophagi a lot. I'm going to be saying that a whole bunch. <laughs> a Tibetan sarcophagus metal variant, for some reason I've written there, is <laughs> dropped off at the Natural Solid History silver. Museum. And they reveal that it was the silver coffin of Temujin, which is the birth name of Genghis Khan. This is where I had to pause and just sort of contemplate how much information we're being offered at once. I actually think I messaged you boys at this point. There's a fucking lot going on between Tibet and a guy who used to be a crime lord who now has powers and fights crime in the city and there's a woman who can read minds and now all of a sudden Genghis Khan is involved in this fucking story. What the fuck is going on? Every scene so far has been a non sequitur and there's been no link to the previous one. It's like, yeah, even in the last few scenes, it's like he can turn invisible and now he can read minds and he owns slaves and he's getting Chinese and his, <laughs> his glass is on fire, and now a museum, and Genghis Khan's back. It's just like, what the fuck? Slow down. <laughs> they should have made that opening crawl longer. We're going to skip some of this. <laughs> anyway, the, the seals on the coffin start to whack a mole open, and the, the security guard who's watching it is desperately trying to, to close them, but to no avail. Shi Wan Khan appears from the coffin and immediately shows that his powers are very similar to the shadows because he force persuades the security guard to shoot himself in the temple. Incidentally, uh, later on in the film, when we get a bit more insight into this, I think he says that he was in that sarcophagus for three days absorbing Genghis Khan's power. Um, so you've got to assume when it opened up that rancid smell of piss <laughs> <laughs> that just... <laughs> bellowed out that is what made the security guard shoot himself in the head tell me you didn't piss for three days <laughs> how do you think he makes himself invisible nobody look reeks. just don't look at him just don't look at him with a nose that size the shadow knew it was coming from this point onwards <laughs> somebody's coming talking about non sequiturs were then taken to the US Federal Building and the Department of War for an introduction of a new character, in McKellen's character, Reinhard Lane, who is a scientist uh, supposedly working on some sort of energy alternative. A and Tim Curry is also here, but he's not important yet. He, I guess, works for the Department of War and is trying to get Reinhardt to, to build a bomb of sorts with his stuff. Ah, classic sci-fi stuff. Uh, the only thing you have to remember... At this point, that maybe is important, is that Reinhardt is colourblind. I wonder what that will link to later on. Can't imagine. Me either. He doesn't know what colour shirt he's in. I didn't really get whether he was colourblind or if he just didn't know what colours were. <laughs> yeah. Because he quite confidently says that he's wearing a green shirt. Yeah. Oh, and he does, at, he does at the end of the movie when this may end up being relevant again say, oh, I need to remember that. Like he's just never bothered to learn red yeah. and green. That he was makes too a lot busy doing sense. science to learn what colours are. <laughs> so on theme for this movie, Genghis, not Genghis, it's Shi Wan Khan. I do want one, one thing from the previous scene, and feel free to cut this out, because it's a random little bit of nothing that I noticed, but quite enjoyed. There's a scene where Margot sits on the sofa, and you've got her on the left of the frame sitting on the sofa, and Ian McKellen's character in the back working on his thing, and they're 
they got like they're both in focus and they're using this like lens that has two planes of focus to keep them both in and it's like it's a real shot and it's a focus on both it's just a really cool scene it's like it's such a specific nuanced thing that you can use this very specific lens for and it's, yeah i just this, i've never seen it in a film before and i thought that was really cool this is far too intelligent the for cinematography this in this Surprisingly, there's a scene right? I'm going to talk about with the cinematography, which was fucking fantastic. Or at least the d- direction of it, uh, we'll get to. Uh, Sam used to work at a camera shop for everyone who was utterly bored by that. Uh, so he's interested in this stuff. Everyone. <laughs> no, thank you, Sam. I, like I did enjoy that. Yeah. Um, so on theme for this movie, uh, Shiwon Khan now gets in a taxi to go downtown uh, and instead of having his location recorded by the taxi driver, which is apparently something they used to do, uh, he has the taxi driver drive into a massive tank of gas. The police are now investigating the murder at the museum, or rather the suicide at the museum. And one of the police officers slinks off uh, down the street, up a building, down the corridor, and he pops a little note through a letterbox, which then is one of those old tubey things. <laughs> a pneumatic tubing. Pneumatic Pneumatic. I was going to ask. The only place I've ever seen them is in Futurama, when it's people that get (laughs) kind of glomped through it. Glomped. Are these real things? Do they exist? Yeah, this was how like I think banks used to send stuff through them before email, I guess, or fax. (laughs) But that'd be great. I don't know why they don't still. That'd be so much fun. I mean, but all all we're learning from this is that he must put a lot of money into putting metal tubing all around the city. And they're like, yeah. we, we must find the fan, not the phantom, we must find the shadow, or just follow all the metal pipes to that one building they all go into, <laughs> where you'll find another one of his slaves who's just sat there reading messages, who can never leave. Follow those floating metal pipes that are assembling themselves at the side of a building. And then when, when his slave gets the message, Alfred. he then just, yeah, when Alfred gets the message, Alfred, he then yeah. <laughs> presses a button. Which sends a message by the ring to the shadow. So, so he he's got some sort of wireless communication technology. So why the fuck are we using pneumatic tubing? But this thing makes <laughs> it, both sound and lights. Could have Morse coded out on that thing. And then, as if that couldn't get worse, in the, 30s. the shadow gets back in touch with Alfred by fucking video cast. Yeah. Exactly. So he gets a taxi to his sanctum just so he can have a. <laughs> 10 second video call with Alfred who tells him, go investigate this. I reckon just have the letter sent to you. (laughs) Also, the ring... All of this would have been quicker (laughs) if you just used the postage system. (laughs) Also, the ring that glows. Insane. You're you're at a charity ball or a dinner you're going to as Bruce Wayne or Cranston, whatever his name is. (laughs) And your ring starts fucking glowing. (laughs) What are people going to think of that? Oh, that's the shadow, that is. <laughs> anyway, Cranston goes to his sanctum where he takes a 10-second phone call from uh, one of his agents, Alfred. But then Shiwon Khan uh, appears behind him in the, sh- in the sanctum and he admits that, okay, so we're going to be using some other names here. Ying Ko, who is the shadow, who is Cranston, uh, was his idol and that he himself was also a student of Tolku, who was the priest who taught Cranston how to become the Shadow. He also says that he wishes to finish Geng- what Genghis Khan started, which is his ancestor, 
uh, which is to conquer all of the world. Genghis Khan only conquered half of the world and offers Cranston a seat at his side because he sees him as an equal. One thing I'd like to point out as well, uh, which I don't think we've mentioned, is that throughout all of this, at least initially, um, I can't remember his first name, so I'm just going to say Khan. At least initially, Khan comes out of the coffin wearing uh, very elaborate, I guess, Mongolian war armor. In this scene, he's in some very elaborate robes, sort of um, <laughs> oriental-looking design robes. He's got an amazing wardrobe, considering he flew over in a coffin. Well, I think he'd send clothes ahead knowing that he would piss at least three times in the armor he was in. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I'm going to piss yeah. in this. I'll send some clothes ahead. <laughs> this, is, this is also where we Why learn. you just get a plane over? <laughs> no. <laughs> we can get you a passport. It's all right. No, You're a real refuse. guy. You're not even from the... <laughs> You're a guy who exists now. You can fly with the coffin. Just get in when we, when you want. You don't have to dress like that. It's the 1930s. You aren't from the past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is where we learn that if you get given all of the shadow powers, but then use them for evil, you don't have to turn fuck ugly to use them. No, you can just be yourself. Well, yes. yeah. As you look on your passport, which he has. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously uh, the, the movie would end here otherwise Cranston says he's not going to join him uh, he's crazy uh, and Chuan says if you change your mind let me know and he gives him a nice little glowy coin people love things that glow in this movie uh, and he disappears now do you all remember Roy from earlier the witness this is why he's important uh, Cranston appears just at Roy's house he knows where he lives <laughs> And he knows exactly what Roy does, which is some sort of chemist? Metal analyst? Yeah, one of those two. Yeah, one of the, the only two things you can be, yeah. Uh, and he asks Roy to do a, an analysis of the metal in or the Playboy. <laughs> oh, yeah, or Playboy. <laughs> Scientists, Playboys, and taxi drivers. <laughs> those are the three jobs. <laughs> and, and Roy Depends reveals... Depends points you get. <laughs> And Roy reveals that the coin is made of bronzium. A metal that sounded real to me, but Google Docs did tell me that it's an unknown word, so I guess it was made for this movie. The only, the only test he does is put it in some liquid and, that, and then everything explodes and he just goes, bronzium! <laughs> yeah. I didn't know this existed. Why is, why is there a test for it then where you can instantly know that's it? <laughs> How long have you been keeping that? Test equipment, testing everything. <laughs> and I love that if it's specifically to see if it's bronzium, that's the first one he did. Yeah, and it breaks it. So uh, according to ancient Chinese belief in this movie, uh, the universe was formed of bronzium and it could be used to form uh, a weapon of some kind, one that implodes on itself and then explodes on itself. The two things uh, a weapon can do. Uh, or as Cranston puts it, an atomic bomb. Uh, the, 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 the chemist draws what he tries to draw a diagram of what will happen. It's fucking nonsense. It's a circle with some lines and a nut. Basically, what I've written down is a load of chemical bollocks, which culminates in the chalk drawing of a nipple, is what we get out of this exchange. Yeah. And then clearly the shadow is getting a lot more than I did out of this because he fully understands and he comes up with the concept of an atomic bomb based on some fucking nonsense about cells. So now we flip back 
Uh, and it's revealed that Reinhardt, uh, Dr. Lane, who is Margot's father, if we haven't made that connection already, is building the very device that Shi Wan Khan would need to create the bomb. It's building the very nipple. Shi mm-hmm. Wan then appears on a billboard outside Reinhardt's office. This is a very strange scene. This is a fucking thing. Like, why does he keep communicating pe- with people via this one billboard? Yes, that's for cigarettes. Both Margot and... Ian McKellen, I'm struggling with the names. He has to wait until they look at that one particular billboard. The first time he uses it, he makes the character on it morph into Tom Cruise from The Last Samurai for some reason. It's all very weird. <laughs> it's The first time he uses it, which is this scene, on Ian McKellen, uh, he he comes out of the balcony, looks at the sign for a minute, watches it. It's a, it's a cigarette advert, which is a man with his mouth open and smokes kind of puffing out at intervals. He looks at it for a minute, and then he pulls a cigarette out, looking a bit transfixed. And I thought, well, the oh, was this works. a bit of commentary on, you know, brainwashed advertising? I don't think it was. <laughs> I think it was taken completely literally, and now nah, this guy's just uh, just brainwashed. Was the, the smoke coming out of it real, or was that an illusion created by Shu? I'm, pre- I'm pretty certain that was real. Oh, a great billboard. <laughs> so, it so, would be so it Evan lighting cigarettes. up. <laughs> Well, I had a fag. (laughs) Which is cigarette Um, in the UK. Oh, yeah. Well, I had a cigarette. Yeah. (laughs) For American listeners. (laughs) Some people were definitely shocked by that. (laughs) Yes, got to remember that. Um, So, Shuan manipulates Reinhardt into working for him and finishing his device, and that'll be important again later. The next scene now is... Cranston is having dinner with his uncle again, and Margot appears and harasses uh, Cranston's uncle, who is the commissioner of the police, remember, uh, to to look into her father. Not because he's missing or he's done anything wrong, but, quote, he's acting a bit weird. He says, basically, forget it. We can't do anything until a crime is uh, committed or such. He says, what kind of weird behaviour? Is it him forgetting the difference between red and green? <laughs> no, that's normal. No, that's, that's normal, yeah. <laughs> that's totally normal. That's fine. Cranston hears all of this going on, luckily. Uh, he doesn't need his agents in this situation. He was actually there, uh, and he learns that uh, Reinhardt is acting weird, and he leaves straight away to go invest- to investigate. Uh, he tries to use his mind powers to get Margot to go away, because she is getting quite clingy, to be fair. She keeps showing up, when, and this is going to be a running theme, uh, when she shouldn't be, but it doesn't work on her, because of her freaky mind powers. But he just straight up bounces anyway, and then we see the first live-action transformation into the shadow, which is just unnecessary and fucking horrible in the taxi. In the ta- in the taxi, again. <laughs> the superhero gets in a taxi to go to the crime, which is insane. Uh, and he goes to the federal building to find Ryan. To the tax mobile. It's fucking mad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll be 5.59. Considering... <laughs> Considering he's smuggling heroin money into the country, he does not want to go to the taxmobile. <laughs> That's very true. So now uh, we're at the perspective of Dr. Reinhardt, who's finished his, his little bomb project, his nipple project, and the Mongol warriors show, show up in the building uh, just to basically collect him and his stuff. Why are they up. all dressed like ancient Mongol warriors? That's never no, explained. They're not swords. from the fucking past. It's kind of this... I mean, I hesitate to call it racism, but... Perhaps I shouldn't. The implication here is that they're from Mongolia, therefore they dress in armour and use scimitars. Yeah. I mean, 
I get that this is based on a radio drama uh, from the 30s and maybe those sort of, that sort of view was more accepted back then and they just kept it, but we even get a flashback to Alec Baldwin in, Mon- in not Mongolia, sorry, in Tibet later on in the movie and he's dressed in full armour with a sword. Yeah. You know, we didn't touch on this. How insane did Alec Baldwin look when he was Yinko or whatever his name was with the long hair... And the, and the toplessness and the fingernails. Yeah. Just mad. And way scarier than The Shadow is. He should have just kept that get-up for the entire movie. Oh, but he's it's been redeemed look. now. We didn't see it, but he's been redeemed now. So he's allowed just, to cut his fingernails. Just ask any of his slaves, mate. He's a better guy now. That took two <laughs> years to teach him. Yeah, so the Mongol warriors show up to collect Reinhardt and The Shadow attacks. Again, the the shadow must enter the battle by first laughing maniacally into the air, uh, completely spoiling the point of the element of surprise, which I suppose he should be working by. And yeah, I, I suppose there's a bit of a fight scene. Uh, it's not very exciting. He turns into a shadow a bit, but then you find out that when he's in his shadow mode, sometimes crossbows can pin him against the wall and he gets trapped there. I don't know. It was just a bit know, This weird. whole scene is confusing. He He's invisible for very little amount of time, seeing as though he's yeah. fighting guys with crossbows compared to when he was on the bridge well, earlier. Well, every time he throws a punch, he yeah. turns visible, so obviously, and then, most yeah, of the time, he's he, visible. He still shows up in the light, which they realise very quickly, and then they shoot him against the wall with the crossbows, and it almost appears like he takes off his shadow, and then he's visible again. It's all very odd. Yes, but he's still so trapped against the wall. It does get... Yeah, it does get teed up at the start of the film where he says, the um, priest in the temple says something about how you can turn invisible, but the one thing that you can't hide is a shadow. Which, fine, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sure, but uh, yeah, you'd think he would stick to the fucking shadows. (laughs) Crawl everywhere. He just stands perfectly still, stand against the wall, not realizing that there's a light on him. Don't announce. And then when they fire the crossbows, they go right for his shoulders and luckily just get the cloak. Yeah. So that all wraps that up happens. pretty quickly. I think they all get away. Oh, he tassels one over the edge. Uh, and there's a bit of a funny line where he says, so that he drops off with him and they land on a gargoyle and he actually crushes him against. He says, next time you could be on top. I did find that very funny. A few moments like I, that in this movie. Yeah, this movie, every now and again, they went, should we be funny? And they just throw in a humorous bit. It's very odd. Well, the humorous bits, are, they're really mixed as well. Some of them are just sort of little one-liners like that. Some of them are genuinely really funny that will come up later right um weird just it's just anyway yeah um humor was very mixed in this but another thing that happens so when he he lets he drops this guy off the building i think this is here he drops the guy off the building and we see the guy fall to the ground hit the pavement the shadow beats him down the building he gets down faster (laughs) oh yeah he's immediately so this is presumably another superpower (laughs) yeah is he can travel down buildings faster than gravity. Uh, well, if he can see the taxi, he can fast travel to the taxi, but only if he can see it. That might be it. Yeah. Uh, so then fast travel. The Mongols get away with Dr. Reinhardt and the shadow leaves it in his taxi. Insane. <laughs> uh, and the next scene <laughs> is that Shiwan uh, manipulates Margot into coming to the federal building and uses the exact same trick he used on her father to make him one of her his followers with the cigarette stuff she stares at the cigarette smoke we get she has a fact she has a cigarette 
<laughs> she pops down to uh, the, the HQ, which we don't know where it is yet, but it's the hotel. Uh, and he tells her, well, with his force powers, to take the gun with the one bullet and go to kill the shadow. She intuitively knows who the shadow is because of her freaky deaky mind powers and goes to Lamont? I'm getting confused with all the names. Yeah. Yes, Lamont's uh, mansion. And just no, Cranston. Cranston. Cranston <laughs> Mansion. Cranston. Oh, very good. <laughs> that stopped me in my tracks. She goes to the house with a gun, uh, but fortunately, and not for the first time in this movie, well, no, not for the last time in this movie, uh, she shoots a mirror instead of shooting him. Well, we learn that Shiwon didn't actually want him dead, but at this moment in time, you're like, bold assumption I mean, that she could kill did. a man with one gun. Well, not this time. You just wanted him to kill her. Well, when he, we saw him say, go kill the shadow. That's risking having him killed. True. It was definitely risky. I think he was covering up later, like, yeah, this is what I wanted to happen. Yeah. Well, give him more than one bullet. We were there. He could have said, go go shoot the shadow's mirror. <laughs> True. <laughs> to be fair, he only gave her one bullet when he had six on the fucking thing. Can I take any of those? Nah. No. <laughs> what, if, what if I miss? What can be done? Oh, you'll be fine. Cranston leaves his house uh, and goes, I guess, to try and find where Shiwan is. And you see a Mongol warrior following him through the streets. But this is this is Cranston's game. He he steps into the shadow <laughs> and pulls the old reversi on him, and then follows the the Mongol. The Mongol just gives up as soon as he loses yeah. sight. He's like, well, just back to base then. <laughs> back to the boss, I guess. <laughs> Which is just down the road, luckily. I love that he's following the shadow, but trying to act, act sneakily, but oh, in yes. full Mongol armor. <laughs> yeah, like like hovering back a few steps as if he turns around, he's gonna go. No, that guy'd be closer if he was following me. Never mind the armor. Yeah, so he steps into the shadows. The Mongol walks past, and then Cranston follows him to a a second Chinese restaurant where luckily Shiwan is. And this is a scene where Shiwan uh, reveals to Cranston that not only was he a student of Tikal, which was the priest that taught the Shadow how to use his powers, he also killed him with the very demonic knife that he is now uh, now holding, the, the one from earlier on. The uh, second ever CGI face on a knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wonder if it's the last. Only one way to find out. Oh, we'll find out. So the Mongol is also there, uh, and as with any set of Mongol armor, he has a gun, and he holds it on Cranston. <laughs> That's how they took uh, over half the world back in the day. <laughs> yeah. But Cranston easily breaks the mind uh, of the Mongol follower and has him throw his gun to him. Don't worry, Shiwan also has a gun and pulls his, uh, and they both shoot at each other and the bullets clash in the air. I love here how after the bullets clash, they both stop to consider how awesome and unlikely that was. They're both just like, yeah, they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Both of them. Neither of them was intending yeah. that. I mean, we know that Khan has a one shot pistol, and we know the Shadow has fucking two <laughs> pistols with mags he's willing to empty into people's feet, but he just fires the one round. Yeah. And then yeah. the only thing more embarrassing than escaping in a taxi is he jumps in a motorbike sidecar. <laughs> With the motorbike <laughs> being ridden by a Mongol in full armor. <laughs> <I> was... <laughs> it was sweating bullets. 
gotta be. Even though they are in Chinatown, the guy in the full Mongol armor is so conspicuous. But then the shadows little agents aren't any better. All their fucking rings glow and they all greet each other with some weird fucking <laughs> little bit of poetry, so neither of them is very clandestine. Oh fuck, I said. Christ. <laughs> Beautiful. The the shadow attempts to follow them in his taxi. So we've got a ta- we've got a superhero in the back of a taxi following a supervillain in the sidecar of a motorcycle. So, <laughs> driven so, by a guy in armor. So, and the taxi's driven by the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is, uh, but somehow they lose the motorcycle. <laughs> I was trying to figure out who the taxi driver is the entire way. <laughs> Somehow they lose and they get to the empty lot, uh, an empty lot on the corner of somewhere, and they've completely disappeared. Um, don't worry, that will become important again later. And again, that guy's just been waiting around for Cranston all day. He's not had a chance to make any real money. He, I mean, we see him collecting a couple of fares, but... Then he has to stop the car, tell people to get, get out, <laughs> and then scream his way through the streets to get to Cranston. So not only can he not collect any fares from people, but he's racking up traffic fines <laughs> like crazy. And Cranston doesn't even pay him. This is a billionaire playboy who doesn't even pay his chauffeur because he's got a taxi driving slave. So Cranston gives up. They're not going to find where they went. And he goes home to find that Margot is is still there. I don't know how many times he has to tell this chick to leave, but she isn't. They have a bit of a chat, uh, uh, and they both go to sleep. And this is where Cranston has some freaky diggy dream, where it's actually quite cool. He puts his his fingers under his face after he notices a little gap, and he's pushing his fingers through his skin, and his his skin's peeling away, and it comes off, and it reveals the face of Shiwan Khan. It's great special effects. Like, visual effects are amazing. The, I don't know what it was, latex or something that he was ripping off, but it looks really good. Oh, they're ripping off Batman. Not this scene in particular, but <laughs> movie, yeah. <laughs> Very good. We take a bit of a left turn here because for some reason now, Shiwan is on top of the Empire State Building and he's just taken this little chance to remind us that he's evil because he tells that American troop to jump off the top. Have we skipped We've, the best skipped. line in the entire movie? Where he he goes to Margot in bed and asks her what she dreamed about. And she is very sensual in her description of herself on the beach, in the sun, with the water on her, and she's touching herself quite a lot. She's, she's, she's trying to make... She's naked, she's caressing... Her. Well, in the dream, she's naked. She's kind yeah. of caressing her She's nightdress. She's not yeah. leaving. She is... Dropping hints, and then she asks him what he dreamed about, and very plain, very plainly says, <laughs> "I dreamed I ripped off my own face and I was someone else underneath." <laughs> <laughs> that was gold. That uh, cracked me Excellent. up. I think she you goes, need help. You're troubled, you are. He goes, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> <laughs> Is it moments like that where it's suddenly that funny? Was genuinely hilarious. Yeah, loved that scene. So you're right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, here, um, Margot also says that she's not going to leave, uh, and she's going to stick around so that they can find um, her father. So together she can get laid. This is how love happens. She is. Yeah, she's horny. 
There's no chemistry between them at all, but she is persistent. He wants her to leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we get the, the scene with Shimon killing that guy. Um, but this is where I wanted to talk about my favourite bit of directional cinematography, where so we see the guy fall off the top of the Empire State Building, uh, and he falls yeah. and he falls, and the camera follows him, and he bounces off uh, <laughs> one of the, the terraces, and he continues to fall down onto the roof. And from that point, the camera just pans down slightly to Cranston and uh, Margot in the street just having a conversation. Like, fucking amazing. You don't even yeah. pay attention to that. This is New York, baby. Yeah, I love that. So dark. The bounce. <laughs> I laughed so hard when he bounced <laughs> off that terrace and hit the roof. <laughs> fucking, that's why it took me five hours to watch this movie. Most of it was that. <laughs> Fuck, it was so good. I really, really recommend watching at least that scene, if not this entire movie. Just that. So good. So now the, uh, the the shadow pays a visit to Claymore uh, because Cranston has just learned that Claymore, which is Tim Curry's character, who previously had been talking to Ian McKellen's character, Reinhardt uh, Lane, who was building the bomb, that he had some sort of sphere. I think it was a beryllium. The beryllium, beryllium sphere. Beryllium sphere. Yeah. What is that? It, it's the bomb at the end. Beryllium. Oh. Uh, beryllium's just an element. Yeah. And oh. it's a metal and they make a sphere out of it. That's it. I'm going to assume that's not his research, because that's just, like, metalwork. <laughs> well, that's what the Shadow is going to find out about. He goes to the building that Claymore is at, which is some weird hexagon next to one of the major bridges in New York. This is a very strange exchange, because Claymore pretty much straight away admits he's evil by flooding the entire place, shooting at yeah. Cranston as the shadow. What is this building that it just fills with water? Well, I've got to assume that that's its sole purpose, was to... <laughs> just to do... Because it doesn't do anything else, does it? No. There's no not even it's indication the sphere was previously there, because there's no tables, there's no equipment. This is a room for flooding, drowning a man. That is it. It's just a big ball with taps. Yes. Is this just the room from The Dark Knight Rises that has the bomb in it at some point? Where, and then that fills with water, I believe. Oh, God. My favourite childhood movies are all just that. rip-offs of The Shadow. That hurts. <laughs> but, so, he manages to shoot The Shadow because once he's in water, you can see his little feet splashing about and ditches him and the place is filling up with water. And then he turns back into Alec Baldwin. Like this, so if the ugly man he turns into is like a separate entity, did he just ditch him to die when he was like, "Oh, well, we're fucked now"? The the I mm, I don't know. There's a big question mark over who this other face is that he takes on, the big nose man. It's almost like a disguise, except his whole thing is he's fucking invisible. <laughs> yeah, and also. After he changes his face, he still pulls up that little handkerchief over his mouth. It's all very confusing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Can't have people recognising me as this person I'm not. <laughs> uh, he uses his psychic connection with Margot to, to tell her to come from the library to the little hexagon next to the bridge he's in and release him. And, and she does and he escapes. Really annoying bit here where he's obviously panicking because it's completely full of water at this point. And he's panicking because he... He's going to drown, going to die in there, waiting for her. So he swims over to the bullet holes that were opened when uh, Tim Curry shot him, takes one breath of air, yep. and then heads back in and just stands by the door. Stay over by the holes, keep breathing. That nose is like a camel's hump for air. 
He can store <laughs> unlimited amounts in there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Claymore now delivers the beryllium sphere to Shiwan at their secret base. Uh, and at the same time, Margot uh, explains to Cranston after they've, got, after they've gotten back that she'd learned at the library that day that the empty lot used to be a the Hotel Monolith, which is a hotel that just seemingly disappeared, uh, was demolished. Uh, they don't know who, they don't know when, uh, they don't know why. And Cranston begins to wonder whether or not it was demolished at all. So they go down to the empty lot and Cranston is able now to, to see the Hotel Monolith and realises that the rest of New York has been hypnotised. That's another power now um, Shiwan has. I reckon just hypnotise everyone in the world to thinking you're their leader. But yeah, cool. Yeah, that'd be quicker, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> so half of New York are Cranston's slaves. The other half are hypnotised. But Or actually everyone is hypnotised by uh, Khan. So they got it all covered. Uh, Reinhardt activates the bomb and sets the timer for two hours. Um and now the shadow infiltrates the, the hotel monolith. We're heading into the, the latter end of the movie here, people. Of course, he has to enter the hotel laughing to let everybody know he's there. And so Shiwan sends his men down to, to kill him. Claymore goes off on his own with a machine gun for some reason. Uh, and the others just disappear into the hallway. Uh, and there's a little face-off between Claymore and the shadow, where Claymore basically just shoots around the room for a little bit, does a bit of laughing, does a bit of dribbling. Uh, and then... <laughs> a bit... <laughs> there, is a lot lot of, there is a lot of drool in this scene yeah, not quite sure what Tim Curry was doing uh, in this role but I love Tim Curry so I was happy to see it and he convinces Claymore, Tim Curry to, to jump out a window and, and kill himself basically very fun resolution there from a very good protagonist remember he's the good guy Yes. the shadow then heads up to confront Shiwan uh, who has the funniest obstacle to stop any hero which is the wobbly floor <laughs> <laughs> the spinny wobbly he floor. That button. He clicks the button for the wobbly floor like it's a real game changer. I thought. I thought. Which, to be fair, it is. When it first, mo- the floor first moved, I thought he was about to fall through a trap door, and then yeah, it just it started like wobbling a, and spinning. A shark tank or something. Total wipeout. No, yeah, it was yeah. a turntable. <laughs> yeah, total wipeout. Yeah. yeah, he goes. He's got the, just the big bouncy red balls in the next room. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, if you manage to get off of this, you've got to huck a duck on the next on the next room. And then <laughs> <laughs> if you throw throw a ball at some coconuts, then we'll fight. Half the doors are painted on and it's just the first round of Takeshi's castle. Shiwan then activates his magical dagger to attack the shadow. It's a bit of a tussle, but eventually the shadow just manipulates the the dagger to his own will and he shoots it like a good guy does straight into the abdomen of Shiwan. But he's also, not dead. Third ever CGI face on a dagger. That's worth it every time. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but is it the last? Yes. Shiwan um, <laughs> then I love what he's done with this by the way. He escapes into his sarcophagus and when the shadow opens it, he's not there. That's because he's <laughs> cut a hole in the bottom of the sarcophagus, which leads down the laundry chute into the laundry room of the hotel. Fucking amazing. And also, they are on the top floor, and the laundry room must be in the bottom. So that is a hell of a drop. Anyway, a a slide. follows him down there, and then the laundry room obviously connects to a hall of mirrors. 
Another great addition. No wonder this hotel never opened. <laughs> oh, apparently the person who made it went bankrupt. So putting in wobbly floors and slides and the roof and the the floor that's entirely mirrors. None of the laundry gets done because you've got to go through the hall of mirrors to get to <laughs> Just it. Just laundry women bumping into walls everywhere because they can't find the way down. <laughs> it's like a game of pong down there. <laughs> yeah, so the laundry room leads into a room of mirrors and we get, again, the classic, the shadow shoots at she yeah. won, but it was actually a mirror second time in this fucking movie. Oh yeah, I forgot, we get a room of mirrors before the hall of mirrors. Yes, yes, yeah, the, the room of mirrors was separate. <laughs> at this point, Margot and Dr. Lane are chasing the bomb around the <laughs> hotel, which... It was made as a big ball, to be fair, and it's just going it, down all the floors and onto the elevator. It's quite comical. Mate, it's, it's made as a big ball, and the doctor of whatever he's a doctor of looks at just a big metal ball with a clock on the front, and the first thing he says when he is awoken from his however long trance is, wow, that's impressive. Is it? It's a big ball with a clock on it. <laughs> Without knowing what it is. When they are chasing that bomb and they lose track of it and then they hear a noise above them and like, oh no, it's upstairs. That was funny. That is <laughs> That was funny. So <laughs> fucking Benny Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the colour blindness comes into play. Or rather the, the forgetting of colours. Well it's hilarious. Just before the, so just before that, when this ball does come down the stairs at them, Benny Hill style. It rolls down the stairs, it crashes into an elevator door, which is like a kind of a mesh door, yeah. which falls back into the elevator shaft, it gets caught on something. So it's just about propped up in this elevator shaft. Clearly it can't handle much weight, and the bomb is already there. These are the stakes. So Margot tells her dad, be careful going out onto this platform. He tentatively steps out. She hops in with him. <laughs> Why are you there? You're not adding anything. She just has to be there. You're wrong, Sam. Those weren't mistakes. Mistakes were that he didn't know the difference between red and green, or he rather <laughs> he thought they were reversible, and he went to cut red thinking it was green, but it wasn't. I love how that was just added in last minute. Because we, you're right, we had the stakes. The stakes was the bomb not dropping, and at the very last second, it was, oh no, wait, yeah, the colorblind thing. Let's do that. We'll do that as well. They deactivate the bomb. That's de-escalated. Yeah. We don't see those characters again, really. Oh, very... Oh, no, wait. They're in an elevator. Never mind. I thought that was a pun. The real stakes were, <laughs> had that ball gone down the elevator shaft, could have blown up the floor that was entirely bouncy castles, so... <laughs> <laughs> Even though now they're in a straight hallway full of mirrors, this is the Shadow and she won instead of just shooting down the hallway at she won. The shadow uses his mind powers uh, and jizz face powers to shatter every <laughs> mirror in that hallway, uh, just so he can then use his mind powers to raise one shard of mirror and shoot it directly into Shiwan's brain, you know, like a good guy does. <laughs> and, He's already got a floating dagger, by the way, but now yeah. use the shard of glass. Nope, and he can float anything. This is a the first piece of mirror with a CGI face on it. Oh, fucking hell. This is, it's it's a very, well, it's not very, it's a slightly last scene in the Matrix kind of scene where Neo stops all the bullets, where they're in that corridor and he's channeling his powers to telekinesis all of the shards or just one of the shards up, fire it into his head. It's, uh, yeah. 
And now everything happens very quickly. So then we cut to Shiwan in a a padded white cell. Uh, He's in a mental institution. Uh, A doctor comes in and he tries to manipulate the doctor's mind like he's been doing this entire time. I I mean, we're all surprised that Shiwan's not dead from that fucking six-inch piece of mirror going into his brain. Uh, But then that is explained when the, the camera pans out and most of his head is shaved. He has this massive set of stitches and the doctor explains that part of his brain had to be removed to save his life, presumably because of the massive stab wound. But don't worry, that's part of the brain that most of us don't use. So I suppose we're supposed to assume that that's the bit he got his psychic powers from. Uh, and then yeah. the camera pans down to the doctor's hand. He's got one of them little glowy rings on, didn't he? I didn't even notice I didn't that. Even, I was too busy noticing that he brought lunch to a man in a restraining jacket. And <laughs> didn't, un- didn't untie him and then just left the bowl and cup in with him. <laughs> Enjoy that. Why don't you use your magic powers to do that? <laughs> but yeah, he, he's, on, he's on a corridor of people who are all saying they're famous people. Yeah, yeah, and he's Napoleon. shouting, "Do you know I? I am the grandson, whoever of, of Genghis Khan, which is just the superhero version of Do you know who my dad is?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, apart from a little kissy kissy scene, we get between the Shadow or Cranston or whatever his fucking name is with Margot at the very end, uh, and we get his classic catchphrase: "The Shadow knows." And was that's that, the end of the fucking was that, movie. Was that, was that his catchphrase? Was, yeah, he said it twice in this movie. Once at the beginning. Oh, once oh at he the said end. it twice. Yeah. Well, we, I've said a few things twice during this. I hope they're not my fucking catchphrases. <laughs> Carl's famous catchphrase that's the first CGI face on a knife. <laughs> Say it all the time. So there's the movie, boys. So I guess it's about time for bad reviews, Sam. First one's from, uh, just goes by Parker, gives it three stars, says. Alec Baldwin is a vigilante that shoots people. He was also in The Shadow, which is just okay. <laughs> that is cold. Yeah, I like that. I think um, maybe. I, I'm sure everybody knows, but maybe if it needs some context, Alec Baldwin allegedly, accidentally, uh, shot the cinematographer on the set uh, of Rust. Def- I don't think there's any questions. Definitely that it was accidental. accidentally, yeah. Allegedly, accidentally. Heaven's <laughs> <laughs> running with this. I've got my yeah, lawyer in the room. Sued. I think he's now sued the um, production company and probably us soon. Yeah, I, I can't remember the details of it, but it's all very kind of recent. Very. Sued them with the argument, you know what I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next review. Uh <laughs> Carlo V gave it one star, said, copy-paste my review for The Rocketeer. Works a little less and fails a little more for pretty much the same reasons, except here it's Art Deco New York City, which is good, and Telepathic Baldwin, which is, yeah. It's weird to consider he has a million brothers and is still the most charming slash talented one. Says a lot about the gene pool. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty fucking harsh. Pretty harsh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I liked that because uh, yeah, a lot of people mentioned the Rocketeer in the reviews about this. I it thought gets about it a lot. lot. Yeah, yeah. It gets compared to a few movies, but the Rocketeer is 
one of them. Well, you've got the Lothar equivalent. You got the all the gangsters still. Everybody in the Rocketeer was one of those fucking gangsters, when they, regardless of whether or not they were actually in the mob. Yeah, it's very yeah. similar. And the last one, once again to reference uh, what we've touched on, thought this was interesting. Arf Ortf, I've pronounced that wrong, but that's the name that was given, wrote this in, note this, 2017 left this review. says, do you think Alec Baldwin has ever, quote unquote, accidentally killed someone in real life? I don't mean like he strangled someone, but maybe he was up on the roof showing someone a view and told them to step further out onto the bit that wasn't nailed on, or slipped some nuts into the food of someone who was allergic. Just wondering. That is a... Um, that's weird. That's some fucking foreshadowing. Very that's poignant. a prescient review, isn't it? Yeah. Someone Again. making a point of... Yeah. Oh, God. There you go. There's your bloody reviews. Excellent. Thank allegedly. you very much, Sam. I always love those. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> wow. Time for that all important question. Well, so I suppose Evan. this is our bit. Yeah, shoot it. So, Evan. You think that was you think good? that was do good? You? Do you? Oh, yeah, we were perfectly in sync there. Yeah. You try and do that yeah, every that time. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> good luck editing that to make it in sync. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, this was uh, Shana's pick. Uh, so I, I don't I'm try like blame YouTube. someone else. I'd never seen this before. Uh, did I enjoy this? I think so. I think there is somewhere in this a good movie. I liked all the weirdness. I kind of liked the element of Shiwan Khan being a descendant of Genghis Khan and him having the same powers of the shadow and, and all of that. But that's very stable comic book movie stuff, especially Origins, where you just fight the same powers that you have, you know, when you're Hulk and Abomination and Iron Man and some guy in the other suit. I've actually now, trying to think of it, forgotten every superhero movie ever, but it's, it's always like just that. Flash in reverse, Flash. Yes, there we go. Superman and Bizarro Superman. They all exist. Thank you. The problem with this movie is that it tries to establish far too much, not only in the movie, but in the first half an hour. Like I said to you boys, it took me so long to get through this to try and take notes, both for the plot, but also my own notes for my take on this. I think if they just went with the the Shiwan Khan stuff, it would have been a great streamlined movie. But with the, the woman who was psychic... No need for her to be in this at all. Made no difference to the movie. You didn't need Reinhardt, her dad, as well as Tim Curry's character, who was also making a beryllium sphere. Just make him make the bomb as well. There's just too much going on for this to be a really concise, good movie. I don't know if there was a sequel, but I doubt it. But I enjoyed it. I think this could have been better, but it was very fun. A surprise to me, for sure. Better than some we've seen. What, 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 what about you boys? Wow. What, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll leave that in. <laughs> Fair enough. I reckon I've got a similar view of this. There's definitely some things that I enjoyed, but I think most of the things that I enjoyed were mostly good in isolation. So there were the, <laughs> the occasional funny scene and the good cinematography and the guy falling off a building in the background of a conversation shot. All that shit was good in isolation. But yeah, like you said, I think it's a movie that was made to capitalize on a craze, on a bit of a superhero movie craze. And it was kind of made to be functional. It, they it, they tried to introduce every trope that seemed popular at the time, from the sidekick to the dark origin story, to the training, to the yeah, to the equivalent antagonist. Everything that they could think of, they put it in and it just became messy. And also, why is his nose so big? 
Also, would have loved to see any training, mate. That was just some text on a screen for us. <laughs> anyway, so seven well, years Well, even pass. the text crawl they copied. <laughs> what about you, Cole? Yeah. I'm going to say I enjoyed it. I'm glad we got the recommendation, because I've never even heard of this until it was recommended to us. So I'm glad of that. I mean, there's something there. Absolutely. You can see a lot of ideas that were then put into the Christian Bale Batman series. But I won't I'm, I won't watch it again, but if they remake it, I think I'd be interested. Yes, I think there is a remake in this. I think you're right in that. There is something I really liked about this. I reckon so. I had a quick glance at the... I don't You, you mentioned it was originally a radio show. Yeah, I, I think Orson kind of Welles was, was the comic. original. Um, oh, Christ. Shadow. Which um, I wanted I to mention. I had a glance but... at a comic book, which was not great. So I don't know. If, I don't know how strong the source material is, but I'm sure it's. Oh, I'm sure it's better than you know. When you look at what Marvel are squeezing out of various comic books, I think there's certainly something to be done here. You think you've played Fallout, right, Sam? Yeah. You know Fallout Four, where you collect those comic books, the silver. Yes, silver the... something. That's basically this guy, right? I think this sort oh, of hero annoy me. I was can't think of his name, but yeah, very common during that era. Same sort of stuff, that noir kind of. Yeah, I think there were a lot of okay, the shadows, just... but I think this was just the most prevalent one or the most successful one. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening, and thank you, boys, for joining me. It would mean a hell of a lot if you left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or over on Good Pods, and don't forget to tune in again next week. We'll be revealing what our next episode is over on Twitter around Thursday or Friday. And who knows, this week it could be yours. So don't forget to submit that to us by Twitter or by email. Until then, never forget the famous catchphrase of the shadow. The shadow knows. Goodbye.